At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. The podcast all about professionals and the lessons they've learned through the years. My name is Joshua Nolette, and in today's episode, we talk to Justin Rowe, the founder and CEO of the LinkedIn marketing and lead generation agency, Impactable.com. So my name is Justin Rowe. I am the founder, CEO, slash CMO of Impactable.com. Um, and we were Link and Learn uh, before we actually went through a an acquisition uh, middle of last year. And I actually came from the restaurant industry of all places, which is always kind of interesting for people. Um, I I didn't you know I wasn't like a sales or marketer or um, or anything like that. Like I got my degree in business, was working restaurants. I was an operator. I discovered LinkedIn maybe five, six years ago. And I was at the time, like, you know, everyone, when they first get to LinkedIn, they kind of think of it as like a, almost like a job board or like update your, your resume. And people aren't actually thinking of it as like really looking for opportunities or, you know, don't know what to do with it. Um, So I didn't know what I was doing. I just started like being active, posting, following people. Um, and then I, I was looking for other opportunities. Like I was a restaurant operator. I didn't want to move up with my current company anymore. I wasn't sure I wanted to be in like the segment that I was. So I just actively started sending connection requests like every day, like 50, 50 connection requests. And I okay. sent requests to HR managers, recruiters, district managers, company owners, um, pretty much anyone that I thought might have like an opportunity. Um, I was just adding them to my network. Maybe I was doing some introductions, definitely didn't have like any real plan. Um, And then I was like posting content a little bit, just like, Mm. I don't know, um, my leadership style, HR issues we run into, the times I almost got fired, um, the times that my my boss um, got almost got fired for having sex with the fry cook and, and then didn't get fired because she wow. got blackmailed by the fry cook and then didn't get fired because she was actually sleeping with her boss, the district manager as well. So then they just fired the fry cook and moved on with their life. So I was posting like that kind of stuff, just like my experience in the restaurant wow. world. Um, yeah. That's a, I don't know if you worked restaurants, restaurants and retail is it's a grimy, ugly uh, <laughs> industry to come up with. Yeah. I, I'm like really glad that you went into your, your business degree because something that, 
Actually, my wife and I had like a really long, like literally like three hour debate about this. She and I love to debate. We don't like fight and argue about it, but it's like literally like a, you have to formulate your points and make an accurate <laughs> argument for your side. And and so we had this whole debate about, you know, getting a degree and whether it's it's useful in certain settings. And so I, I am a proponent 100% of education. I think education is great. I think it can give you a well-rounded perspective of the world and teaches you how to learn about the things around you. You know, my grandfather always said, now you get to learn how to learn. Yeah. Um, and so what I think is really interesting, though, is I meet a lot of people, especially on LinkedIn, right? I meet like engineers who are like building like guns and stuff like that, that go into marketing like five yeah. years later. And so your degree, you have two degrees, you have a bachelor's and a master's in business, right? Yeah. Business administration. How did you get from like, I know you went into LinkedIn and that was kind of the, the progression, but was there like a passion that sparked in you outside of business admin that kind of led you into more of like a, a network marketing? Because that's what LinkedIn Learner or Impactable does, right? Yeah, and I, I've had this debate with a lot of people too, because yeah, I mean, the amount of debt that you could take on getting a bachelor's and a master's degree, like, and especially in something as general as like business admin, like I would not recommend it for a lot of people. Mm. Like there's a, there's a lot of degrees that make sense, like engineering, right. getting like, you know, trying to be a doctor, an accountant, like legitimate degrees that have a clear path to a job, but like, I mean, you know, like human social studies and business administration, like they're so freaking broad. Like, right. Then you get to the end of it. And like all this time you've been like looking at Glassdoor about what the average salary of someone with a business admin. And you're like, and then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I have no experience. I didn't do the intern thing. Like I'm screwed. <laughs> like, right. Right. So I, I got those degrees. I, I, with my bachelor's degree and working on my master's degree, I took a job in the fast food world, making 24,000 a year. That was my first salary job. Um, no wow. clue what I was doing. It was a bad time. It was back in 2004 or something, I forget. But it was, you know, I just took work where I could find it. And the good thing about restaurant industry is like the competition or the the severe lack of like real leadership, integrity, whatever, mm. was just like really nice to move up. Like I said yes a lot. I was like a great you know, I follow instructions really well. I'm a hard worker. I'm a hustler. So I moved up really fast. I got my own store, you know, in a matter of years. Um, and I would say, though, that having the master's degree, so it in no way, shape or form really prepared me for that job. And it didn't do a ton to prepare me for like the marketing world. But what it did is it did have a pivotal moment in my career where I was, like I said, I came to LinkedIn. I was adding all these people. I got a ton of job opportunities. Like if you're a job seeker, that's probably the number one way that you could like put yourself out there and get opportunities. But what I started getting was investment opportunities. I, mm. I accidentally made myself a visible restaurant operator in my city on LinkedIn, which isn't hard because there's not more than two people in the restaurant industry time trying to dominate LinkedIn in their city. Like, yeah. It's just, no one's doing it. Yeah. So what was cool is I did that accidentally. I didn't know what I was doing and investors who were looking for managing partners who wanted to like build restaurant franchise in like my city started discovering me on LinkedIn. They mm. came to LinkedIn looking for restaurant operators. And I was like the number one person. I kept saying that. So I started getting investment um, opportunities where they said, Hey, I, I have this idea for a concept. I'd love to build it. I need a restaurant. I need an operating partner. You'd run it for a percentage of the business. I'd finance it. And, you know, we'll be partners in this. So I got three or four of those offers. I took one of them up on it and we built a 
Potbelly Sandwich Shop franchise, right. first store in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then I convinced him a year later to buy three existing stores in Louisville, Kentucky. And I moved over there to run it. And that opened up, I would say that me having the degree, the master's degree at that point is probably like was a crucial detail that led him to entrust me or make him think that I was a better like partner for that. But it didn't like, I don't think it like actually prepared me for it like any more so it just on paper, I looked like a much better candidate for something like an operation partner than without it. Right. So I do think, I do think it, it was worthwhile, like in that aspect, because I don't think I would have made that transition without it. Right. And, and then because I made that transition, it was like a really cushy, like nine to three thirty job, like these sandwich shops, 80% of their, their, <laughs> their business is lunch. They're not open after 8 p.m. So it's not wow. like late nights. Right. It's pathetic like weekend. They do a ton of lunch <clears> traffic <throat> and catering. And then I had all this free time. And, uh, and so I came back to LinkedIn and I was like trying to do something on the side. I was like, this was, you know, obviously something that was really powerful. Connecting with people had done a lot for me. That's when I met Ryan French and, uh, and Eric Jennings. And yeah. we had this bright idea to uh, make like a LinkedIn um, course, which seems like everyone has that bright idea. Right. We, uh, we actually did it though. I drove four hours to Michigan. I went to their house. We had a whole day, like recording session. Um, and I think we sold like two, I think we sold two, <laughs> two courses. It was like $35 or something. Yeah. And, uh, the two people that bought it were like super happy about it. Um, but then like, you know, we, we didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about marketing at that point. Mm. Um, and that was kind of, my first like, huh, so you have a good product, you have something that could help people, but marketing is probably pretty important because we, I don't know how to like let people know. Right. Um, so that's when I started getting like really interested in it. I stumbled onto Upwork as a freelancer and that's, that was my first like big source of leads. Um, I just did a lot of like side projects there. And then we had like 40 ongoing clients just from like that source before we like made our actual official uh, website, like version one of our website and okay. LLC, the thing. Yeah. Um, and then after we had the website, I started like teaching myself Google ads, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, um, using our own outreach. And then I, I would hire like experts to help consult and set up a channel and audit me. But I was like pretty adamant about learning each channel myself and managing it myself. Okay. Mostly because like, I felt like everyone was pretty overpriced um, for like ongoing management. Okay. And so to save money, I just kind of learned how to do it myself. And and then I, I just like, I just really liked it and I fell in love with the marketing side of it. So that just clicked with me more than anything. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. From an operations role, right? So I told you I worked in airports before this. Um, so I worked in the the local airport near me in uh, Orlando, it's in Sanford, but um, but I worked in operations, and I was I was like you, I you know I worked hard and I showed up on time and early sometimes and stayed late and did my thing, got promoted up, you know, to moving up through the channels and eventually got into an operations manager role or just kind of overseeing the whole terminal. Um, and something from a, an operations perspective to a marketing perspective, right? Because this is my first position in marketing is where I'm at right now. Um, and I kind of want to see what you think about this. But I think that operations, when you are in a leadership role, plays more directly into the concept of marketing in that when you are a leader or a manager, you are constantly like 
playing, I want to say verbal jujitsu, but you're trying <laughs> to put yourself in their brain, right? And all the people that I've ever tried to lead, I try to think what makes them tick and why are they responding the way that they're responding? And to me, marketing at its core is basically the exact same thing. I could agree with that. You're you're putting yourself in other people. Well, you, the caveat is good good leaders do this. Um, True. The the majority of the people that I saw like were more in the manager category, and it was like threats and fear and do this, you piece of crap, or you know. <laughs> but like, I I had a breaking point in my in my restaurant career where. I was treating people like they were numbers on a spreadsheet. Like they were there just mm. to help me get my numbers. Um, I hemorrhaged staff. I couldn't keep people. And I had, and I was working 80 plus hours a week. And I had this realization that I needed the, the staff more than they needed this job. Yeah. Um, and at that point, you know, I actually started bending. I started creating these schedules that were like, I called them my masterpieces. It was like, Basically, if you didn't want to work Saturdays, fine. Like I'll find someone who does. You work the days you want. If these are you only want 15 hours a week, I'll give you 15 hours. I'll hire someone else to fill in the cracks. And so I had these schedules that pretty much everyone actually liked their schedules. And so they wow. showed up consistently to work. They stayed longer. Because especially like in the Midwest, minimum wage was, you know, I had a very small budget of what I could pay people. And at yeah. seven, eight, nine dollars an hour, like the difference of them staying or going across the street was like they liked the place that they worked. They had a schedule that was flexible and, you know, a boss that, you know, wasn't terrible. So I started catering to the staff. And then miraculously, um, we actually had really low turnover. Our numbers started improving. My life became easier. And so, yeah, through that, I kind of really got, um, I actually learned empathy putting myself in the perspective. And I would say the other, other than just like the, the psychology of, of putting yourself in there is um, I would say my restaurant career, working, building a team and working, being comfortable and working on like smaller margins. Cause we'd sell stuff that was like, I mean, you could sell a dollar item and you had these, you were just going for the scale approach. And it's no different than going for like the agency model where there's people that do what I do that charge three to four times as much. I'm comfortable selling more, making less on each product and building a team to fulfill, which ended up being one of my big strengths because most of the other people in the marketing industry, it's hard for them to keep a solid team, to grow them consistently, to work on smaller margins. So we ended up, you know, that operation mentality from the restaurants of growing a team and uh, going for the scaled approach turned out to be one of our strengths as well. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think it's, that's what I, I'm saying. I think it's interesting to see that, like, especially in your case of the aspect of like catering to, to your clients or catering to, you know, anybody who's trying to get a message out there and them catering to their audience is, is the most important thing I think in, in when it comes to marketing. Um, something I did want to ask you about, let me find my notes here. Um, so in your bio on LinkedIn, you talk about vanity metrics. So <laughs> I kind of want to just pick your brain on, right? So on LinkedIn and with, I would argue any, any social media marketing, um, there has to be a balance between having a return of investment, but also building that audience, you know, and in your bio, you talk about the time that you spent just on LinkedIn, connecting with people and, and building that network. So when does, or when should 
you think the transition from focusing on building that network and really kind of growing vanity metrics, should it shift to having a call to action and turning that into money per se, I guess is the best way to put it. It's, it's also about, um, you know, what you have, what you have more of. And so like when you're, when you're starting out, whether you're like a solopreneur or you're a scrappy startup and you have more time than you have money, then putting in, cause I think the thing that frustrated me about like people that focus on the vanity metrics is, so I did the whole posting, you know, every day, multiple times a day. And, it, and if you actually want to grow a LinkedIn reach, it has like, it doesn't even have that much to do with your, your quality. Although it should like that helps. It's about posting consistently and then spending like 80 or 90% of your time engaging with others. Like that's the real secret sauce that like will propel you your post to be featured on more feeds to get more reach is how much time you invest on a platform engaging with others. And so yeah. when, when I had like, I don't know what year it was um, before we started getting like too big, I had, you know, millions of content views. My stuff would like go, you know, go viral. Like one post would go over a million views. And I was just spending like, uh, it's probably like six plus hours on LinkedIn a day, like six or it was like a full-time job, just like being on LinkedIn and the amount of leads I would get for my business from a post that had 500,000 views, 800,000 views, like I started to realize it wasn't like worth the time investment I was putting in, especially when I started like playing around with Google ads. Like, so right. at, at first it helped me get visibility, it helped me snag the investor. It would, you know, it would like trickle in uh, leads. I realized that the the 20% of the time I was spending sending messages and, and direct messages to people that, you know, 10, 15, 20 people a day was getting me more business than like, the eight or the whatever hours I was spending on getting like improving my reach. So I started like refocusing my time on, on the, on the things and actions that were getting the most time. And that's, that's kind of how like the, the original link and learn scaled is that we never actually got into like content creation for people. We were growing their network strategically with like their ideal clients or potential partners or, you know, potential PR podcast host type stuff and starting conversations in the DMs. And I actually didn't want to do content at all because I felt like if we wanted to do content and we wanted to do it right, you can't just like post every day, it's post and then who's gonna do five hours of engagement a day? Like we're gonna sell that, we're gonna manage it. Like, I don't think so. And, and that's why I get so mad at like the, the LinkedIn influencers who are selling like the course or, or who are like selling content management service because like, okay, so you know what a viral post looks like and you're going to post for them like once a day, but who's going to do the five or six hours of manual engagement that you're doing to boost your posts? You're going to do that for your client or you're just right. going to like, you're, they, they think that they're going to get the same results as you because you have this, but you're not going to actually give that to them. And then you realize that having viral content on LinkedIn is really good if you're selling content creation on LinkedIn. But if you are a B2B software company, if you're a, you know, ads management software, unless you're actually creating your, your network very targeted, like you're sending connection requests, you're adding 20, you know, potential software companies who might need your service, like a million views that's unfocused, like, isn't really that helpful. So I got, yeah, yeah. I went through a range of motions about like 
you know, this is what it, you know, all the work it takes to get there and what that actually gets you. And here's some other stuff that you could focus on if you have, if you actually have some budget to drop in Google ads, LinkedIn ads, Facebook ads, you know, or sending direct messages versus like trying to, trying to do too much on the content side. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And I think that like, especially the last month has taught me more than anything else that like you can have, you can have fine looking content or even great. You could have the best content in the world, but if you're like literally doing nothing but posting content yeah. and you're not engaging with other people, it's going to go nowhere. So like I've been active on LinkedIn for like two or three years and I was just like post and then like leave it alone for the day and be like, man, nothing's taken off. Like this isn't working. I'm not getting anything. And then I don't remember who I heard say exactly what you're saying. It's about engaging with your community is what really takes it off. It's been the only thing that's even worked um, for any of my content. So what do you think, though, is the line between, um, I guess, what standard should content be up to? And then what standards should your engagement be up to, right? Because anybody can go on LinkedIn and just because I get these all the time. It's like, good, great post. Yeah. Awesome. And it's just like one word thing. It's like, cool. Thank you for engaging with it. But like, I love to hear like people's thoughts on something, right? I like presenting an idea and then listening to somebody share either a differing perspective or just, you know, a cherry on top of that Sunday or whatever it would be. So I guess, what do you think the line of the standard, right? What is too much? And what is the good enough amount that it's going to do what you need to, to get a, a proper return investment? What I'd recommend is you set a daily allotted time on LinkedIn, like figure out what that time investment you want or have to put and then prioritize. So I would say, you know, if it's 15, 20 minutes, if it's one hour, I would have a different priority list. Like I would say one of the top things that you can do is send targeted connection requests to your two people that might have opportunities for you. So if you're a business owner, that might be ideal clients. It might be like potential partnerships of similar companies in your space that have complementary offerings. It might be like podcast hosts, content writers, blog writers, like people who might you know be able to feature you. It, even if you don't introduce yourself, if you don't do anything else, building your own network versus just accepting connection requests, that's probably one of the most powerful things you can do. After that, I would say um, make, yeah, make a post. And it's not just about like posted, check mark, done for the day. Like it does, the things that get you most traction are things that are like, you know, different than other people out there that actually show your personality, your thought. And and honestly, like if you're just starting out, if you have less than 5,000 connections, if your content posts are getting less than, you know, two to 5,000 like views, the biggest impact you can have is commenting on other people's posts. And yeah, not just like great, insightful, you know, awesome. It's find find people you disagree with. Um, some of those are some of the things that have created like the most leads for me is if I find like some influencer or someone in my space who says something that's just like, just bad advice. It's not like true. I disagree. Or I just have a different way of thinking about it. I will, I will jump in there. I'll comment. And I'll disagree and my post or my reply on their post will become like the top comment. And uh, most most times when you see a post, the comments are sorted not by most recent, but by most relevant. So whoever, Mm -hmm. whichever reply has the most likes replies to it will become the top comment. And so you could actually become more visible on LinkedIn by having top comments on people whose posts get more views than you do than by posting your own stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, you actually have to have your own opinion 
it's okay to disagree with people or add something like actually valuable. Right. Right. I think it was actually you that that commented on somebody made a video about, you know, the new job market and kids coming up. And I made a video on this because it really like it really irritated me, to be honest with you, just like the the attitude of any any generation that keeps coming up. Right. Everybody hated millennials. They're like, these people are the worst. They're so lazy, (laughs) which I mean, I think that every generation comes up and has an entitled nature to them. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the nature of teenagers. We just all come out like cocky. I can take on the world for nothing. You know what I mean? And um, and I think what's like interesting to note is that like whether you're getting paid $15 an hour now or you're getting paid 25 cents an hour back in 1950 or 40 or whatever, you know, whenever they made that that kind of money, there's always a value that somebody's going to put on a skill that you have. And I think that in LinkedIn, as well as in life, like if you're not doing something to prove that you have value, or you're going to give value, then you're only ever going to be worth however much that they see there. And when you're like online and like complaining about like, oh, nobody, you know, nobody thinks that, you know, I'm worth anything, blah, blah, blah. It's like the opposite way that you would want to go. And so I think my question to you would be with the new generation. I actually have, I don't know how old you are. Um, <laughs> I'm 30, I think I'm 30, 35, 36 this year. Okay. Okay. So with the new generation coming into work, right. Um, what would be your advice as far as marketing themselves, but more, more than that would be like their own perspective of business strategy for them, their personal life. Yeah, and yeah, I I know who you're talking about. With uh, I've been I've been seeing like all these Gen Z posts, and it it does like yeah. Some of it's just like, I mean, some of it's just like wrong. Like I know you don't want people to think of you as like an immature like teenager or inexperienced, but like your posts and your views like shed a lot of light about your experience in the world. And I mean, I kept, I had the same view. Like I remember it was a it was a sad thought when I had my college degree and I got my first job that was paying me 24,000 a year. And I said, you know what, but this is, I looked around, I took, you know, no one else was just throwing offers at me just because I had a degree or because I, you know, whatever, like I realized really fast that I, this was the industry I I knew. I didn't have any experience in other other industries. Um, My advice for like young people coming up is like, get, I don't know, get your, dip your toe in a lot of different ponds. Like I literally, Mm. until I was like 30, I didn't know what kind of money could be made in different industries. Like, and I didn't know, you know, like you get experience in a certain industry or whatever. And you don't know that like people who sell um, (laughs) enterprise software, (laughs) like the average, the app, like you talk to people like Ryan French who are- um, Dude, his quota blew me away when he started saying numbers. Yeah, crazy. And marketing is the same way. So I like, if you come from restaurant or retail, or if you're like a budding entrepreneur and maybe you have dabbled in a, a few things, like just, just get out there and, and experience like different, different industries, talk network with different people, like ask them about their career paths. Um, and, you know, try to maybe, maybe be transparent about what, you know, your struggles are and learn from others. But um, especially like if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're starting to, if you're building at something, I don't take everyone's advice with a grain of a grain of sand, because mm. what you, what you are going to build 
is going to have to leverage your unique strengths and, and weaknesses. So everyone else who's giving you advice, they may be ahead of you and it may be good advice that got them to where they're at. But if I had listened to other people, I would not, you know, I definitely wouldn't have priced myself at the way I did. We wouldn't have grown as fast as we did. I leveraged my unique strengths and experiences in order to build something that I was comfortable with and something that gave me a competitive advantage versus trying to just follow other people's advice. Because one of the big ones, like when you're starting off is like, everyone wants to tell you how to price yourself. And my whole opinion yeah. about pricing is I, I have like this sliding scale. I was like, so if you have more time than you have um, like money in your bank account, lower, lower your price and take on work. And then once you get to the point where like you're at capacity, you can naturally increase your price and start like, then you have experience because you you're doing more work, you're getting a steady, you know, payments. And then you can, after you get to, I don't know, 60, 75% capacity, you can raise your price and start filling, you know, slots with higher. And then as, as your capacity starts to fill up again, it's time to raise it, start dropping off the whatever. But if you just right. come out, like if you're starting out and everyone tells you that you should be priced three or four X, what you were thinking, and you can't get three clients, like, you know, you're going to get discouraged. Um, so yeah. I think like with pricing, with delivery, with all these other things, like you also have to take advice based on like where you're at. So someone who has like a $5 million a year company giving you advice about how to just get started and you're just trying to make like, you know, five grand a month in revenue, um, you know, their advice might be really great for where they're at, or they might not even remember what it was like just getting started out. The best advice you can get is from people that are like one or two steps ahead of you who still remember what it was like to be in your shoes. Yeah. Not like yeah. just work. Cause you see all these people that are like, you know, don't work the weekends, don't work nights. You should work, you know, 20 hours a week and just price yourself at five X this and have the, like, but they worked 80 hours a week in order to build that life for them. And then they're telling these people to like, right. you know, not to hustle. Um, so I don't know. That's right. And the reality is that a lot of people like they have the name or they have the clientele. Like I work with a guy who is like, like synonymous with stone restoration. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about like, restoring marble you always think of this guy and so like everybody is associated with well i don't have that you know what i mean so me yeah. coming forward and we talk about this all the time because like i'm more of a, a leadership role and so i can't be the face of stone restoration because i'm not and i think for a lot of like firms even like me like i shoot freelance uh, video and photography right and so if i'm gonna price my same as the level of somebody who's been doing it and has a network and has a community in our area is really well known um, I'm not going to be able to get the same because when you get more clients, it kind of snowballs right into more of more clientele and more clientele. And it's the same concept. Like when you build like reviews and you build a long list of good reviews that grows into more clientele. And so if you're just trying to, you know, come right out of the gate and say like, oh yeah, I'm going to charge as much as the big dogs. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get it. And I guess that would be more of an argument for quantity over quality almost. Yeah. It, it's also like my, the lesson I learned when I got the investments um, and I became the most visible restaurant operator in my city on LinkedIn. When you think of things in like small bite-sized ponds, it's way less intimidating than coming on LinkedIn and saying, I'm going to be the most visible, you know, stone restoration person in the world. 
if you're, if, I mean, chances are in your city, in your niche and on LinkedIn, the competition actually is way less, you know, way less challenging than you would think if you just think of LinkedIn as this huge ocean, or if this huge influencer that you follow is dominating your feed, if you build your own network, if you send 20 connection requests a day to your target audience, that big influencer isn't probably on your connections feed. They're not, their feed isn't getting dominated. If you're adding 20 connections a day, you're building your own network. You are probably, and you're posting every day, you are probably dominating their feed. You are probably the most visible expert in your area, in your niche, in their minds. And so you don't have to dominate. You don't have to think of competition as like you're always competing on equal levels on every platform. Like almost every single marketing channel gives you the opportunity to get in front of people that don't know all of your competition. Like when you pay for Google clicks, you know, you're paying per click. So yes, you might be listed next to four other, but you only have to pay when they click into your page. And when they enter your little digital store, you have the opportunity to make your case. And maybe, you know, they don't browse the other pages. And same with LinkedIn ads, same with LinkedIn outreach, you carve out your little space. And in your little space, you can kind of dominate and then grow it from there. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said for sure about, about like finding your niche and like, especially in stone restoration, I had no idea this was even like a, <laughs> a market at all until yeah. I got this job with them. But like, it's like these guys, because they have niche down so far, right in Florida, it's, it, you like throw a stone and you're going to hit a stone restoration professional. I mean, like they're everywhere down here in Florida, Jeez. but up North they're few and far between. These guys are in high demand. And so because they have found such a specific rate, they don't do install, they don't replace flooring, they just restore high quality stone. Hmm. They make a killing. I mean, they make so, because nobody knows how to do it. Because nobody, everybody goes, oh, it's too small. Nobody will want that small of a business. But these guys build whole companies just doing restoration. And that's it. And so I think that's like one of the coolest lessons that I've ever learned from this job is just learning that, you know, there is a target market for you and you're not going to have the whole world, right? You need to find the people that are going to need your product. Um, and that's something I wanted to ask you about is when you are developing a product, right? For something to, to get out there, what, what research do you do, right? With, with, um, with Impactable or LinkedIn Learn, um, what do you do as far as research to determine what your target market actually wants or actually needs? Um, and I guess we are positioned a little differently to get that data. Um, so I originally, when I got my start on Upwork, it's like very price competitive. And so we, we priced ourselves low to get the experience. And then we started getting other opportunities, like people that wanted to take our service, sell it to their clients and white label us. So we, we kept our prices moderately low for that reason. And so for that reason, we actually deal with a higher volume of clients than probably other people in our space, like where they're, mm. you know, charging three or four times as us and they are happy having 10 or 15 clients. We have a couple hundred and we get information and data faster. So we start to get a better feel of like, what are our clients ask, like consistently asking if we do this or do that. Um, and, or, and so what we've done historically is, you know, we'll ask our clients, um, or just during the, like the demo, we get a lot of the same questions like, Hey, what about this? Do you manage this? Do you have any experience with this? And after hearing the same thing over and over, we start to say, you know what, we're in a good position to, to sell that. Like 
one of them was we started with LinkedIn outreach, you know, sending targeted connection requests, sending message drip, mastering LinkedIn automation. And, and we have this ability, you know, they think of us as LinkedIn experts. And a lot of their questions were, do you do LinkedIn ads? Do you do LinkedIn content? Do you do LinkedIn profiles? So a lot of the, the next services that we started to roll out weren't mm -hmm. just like crazy things that, you know, we came up with our imagination. It was clients were consistently asking that we knew if we would provide that we could snag some extra, some extra revenue from clients without having to like, we didn't build out a separate like marketing funnel to, to like advertise profile optimizations. In fact, I don't even think it's listed on our website. It's just something that mm -hmm. our clients who want to do outreach, we let them know that their profile is weak or, you know, needs this or that. And then let them know that, you know, if they want, we could, we could do that for them. And it's the same with ads. Like we got asked so many times if we do LinkedIn ads that uh, we actually rolled that out. And, and normally what we do is I'll actually, um, we'll actually start selling it to clients first. Um, so we'll, you know, I was doing it the initial, I think I managed the first 20 or 30 LinkedIn ads clients myself. And then I trained my top two guys, Jonathan and Josh, how to do them. They started taking on clients and then they helped me train like the account, the next level of account managers. But what we do is we would sell 10 to 20 um, accounts of something, kind of mm. prove out, prove out there's a demand. So we would sell it without even a landing page. And then after we have 10 or 20 clients who are utilizing that service, we'll build out a landing page and then, um, and then some like extra marketing around it. But with LinkedIn ads, like we made a hard pivot to that. And then we actually stopped most of our advertising for outreach. Um, and now LinkedIn ads is our main like flagship product and outreach, um, Google ads, content, all of these are like things we don't really have marketing budget around, but people that come to us for LinkedIn ads, like often need a lot of these other services. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. What is, um, what is your view on producing digital products that will, instead of having a team that manages, right, similar to what you guys do in, in you know, profile optimization or all the things that you guys do for, for businesses on LinkedIn, what is your view on developing a digital product that you really just kind of let run and people purchase and you don't have to do really anything but managing the process of purchase? That sounds like a dream to me. Um, come, <laughs> That's kind of what I'm getting at. Coming, yeah, coming from the agency side where we're basically a service-based company that right. offers digital product, like managed digital services, um, developing developing things that, like digital assets, like um, courses or training or things that could be like pre-recorded and packaged and then just like sold continuously um, is definitely something that's been on our radar for a while. And if I had to start like something else, like after this, I would probably shy away from doing like a service-based model again. I would want something that was like more like a digital product that is like packaged and had, you know, low kind of like upkeep uh, or execution. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think what I was thinking about the other day, right, I was just sitting there like, man, I, I want to develop exactly what, what I was just talking about. Like, it would be cool to develop something that you put it out there and it sits there and, you know, kind of. You just do the management and you marketing that product and you just manage the store. Um, but I'm not sure that in like even a LinkedIn or how easy it would be in a marketing context to develop a product other than like a course, like you're saying, 
Um, but I don't think there is an avenue where you could just, you know, hey, I made this and then leave it because everything is so different from one person to another. What I would say is um, I've, I've, I've seen some really good models that do this. And usually, so, I mean, you could, you could have products. Like we could have a LinkedIn automation training that's like text and video that walks you through. Like we've tried 30 different LinkedIn automations. Mm. We've never gotten an account ban. We know how to like integrate automated LinkedIn outreach into like data scraping so that every single new connection you make shows up in a spreadsheet with their name and position title and address. We know how to like sort that and integrate it into a CRM. So there's like a digital product of training that we could make and just package it like that. We could do the same for ads. And initially when I started doing my podcast, I'm not trying to do like, I, so I have the impactable podcast and we're walking through LinkedIn ads. Like I have no intention of at this point, turning it into like uh, interviewing professionals, like growing a name for myself in the podcast space. I'm, I'm using it as like a dual purpose, um, eventually going to be a package training thing. So like my mm. link, my LinkedIn ads podcast is like super boring and dry. It's like open up, it's like a walkthrough and I'm recording videos okay. as I do it. So I'm using the audio for podcasts, the videos are going to repurpose, um, and the text is going to be repurposed for like an ebook and a training. Um, so it's literally like the nuts and bolts, open your campaign manager. Here's copy and paste this. This is how you install your insights tag. This is how you check your whatever. And it starts with basics and then goes to intermediate. Um, so okay. I do I do want to have, so the, the next digital products that we do want to come out with is an ebook for outreach and ebook for, for ads, and then a actual training module or e-course for, for both. But I think what would be like, what I've seen done really well that actually would make a lot of money is like a combination where you have a digital asset of training combined with like live um, instructor hours to actually go through it with them, personalize it for their specific company. So it mm. could be like, you know, a couple thousand dollars and you get the course plus a weekly call with whoever, you know, for four weeks or something. So it's like a four week training course where you go through the asset that you have. And I guess you could just sell that by itself. And then like as, as an upsell, you have like the guided training or whatever. Um, and then you have the benefit if you do that in a group setting, you know, 10 peep classes of 10, like, I mean, that would scale pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious as far as the process goes, if you, right. So you're using the podcast when you launch the product, what happens to the podcast? Um, It's still, it'll just still be like a, a free source. I mean, so that's just audio. So, I mean, they would want the, the text and the videos and cause when I do the video, redo some of the videos, it'll be a lot of screen share and showing, but from my experience, right. like, honestly, like you can, you can give people like a ton of information and they're still going to pay to have it nicely packaged because like, I mean, you could go through the last two years of my LinkedIn content and you could probably know how to run like LinkedIn ads, you know, all the tips and secrets and extra capabilities, but who's going to do that? And who's going to listen right. to all of my unfocused podcasts um, when they could pay for like a nicely packaged digital product that is going to walk them through it with videos and text and screenshots. So even though it's out yeah. there and there's going to be a ton of people that, that will use that and learn from it. What I've, what I've seen is that, um, so we sell training too, like, and it's, it boggles my mind 
how many people will pay 350 or 450 for us to like audit their account and give them some training just for them to then turn around and just hire us. Um, so because the people that the people that have time are not your ideal clients for like, um, you know, for a managed service and people that have money, but don't have time, they think they want to learn it. Sometimes they'll pay for training, but then all you really get to do is you get the opportunity to show them that it's more complicated than they thought that we yeah. are the experts and that you just want us to manage it for you. So I, I also like the idea of like almost low price training as a form of lead gen. Um, so if we have like the ebook and, hmm. or a package training where we tell them exactly how to run their ads account, I, I think we will see that that's a, a huge source of just clients that end up paying for that and asking us to manage it themselves ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's, so we sell digital products and we sell courses and something that I really struggle to get across is if somebody really wants to take advantage and, and get our courses and share them with the world, then they're probably going to do it. Eventually it will be stopped. They're not gonna be able to mass produce it. You know, you put safeguards, but like really what you're selling especially in your case, is the convenience of not having to deal with it, right? And most people are not going online, like exactly what you're saying. Like when you're when you're trying to build something like myself, when you're trying to build it from the ground up and it's just you, then yeah, you have to put in all of the time and you have to learn the skills yeah. and you have to make things work until you can generate revenue to pay people to do it for you. Um, but most of the cases, it's going to be somebody who doesn't have the time. Exactly what you're saying. You know, he doesn't. They're paying you because they just don't want to. They, I'm going to get rid of that so that problem, and somebody else can find the solution for it. So I think that's always going to be the problem, though. When you sell like intellectual property, and you're selling that to people, somebody will always get like really irritated or frustrated. Like, oh, they're going to take. But it's like you're yeah. missing the point. I think of the whole point of selling this is that you're not the only person with it. You know, somebody else will figure out how to do what you've done or already has figured it out. You really should be selling the time and the convenience and the the nice package, like what you were saying before. I think it's the same, like um, content creators or people that um, do like audits or whatever on the like free audits or something like they're always worried that, oh, I'm going to check your ads account and I'm going to point out these three things. And you're just gonna like fix those and go on your way. Like, but if if you're a real expert in your space, like you, there's almost no possible way for you to just give everything you know away. And then, and yeah, it's crazy. If you actually do, if you actually like put away that fear and actually just am like, like if you were gonna do LinkedIn content, I would, I would say like legit, just tell people exactly how to do what they should be, what you want them to pay you to do for you, for them, or to, to show them how to do, like piecemeal it out. And then you'll have those people. And you're like, you're like I'm worried that they'll just see my weekly posts and they're just going to be like writing it down. and They won't have to buy my course. You're like the people that see three of your posts, they're going to be like, yeah, I don't freaking have time to wait for like the next 40 posts to come out. I right. know you're an expert. I want your course now. And it's the same with like, um, I would do audits um, for people and I would sometimes in a 30, a 30 minute audit, like I wouldn't just give them like two things and make them pay for the rest. Like I would go through and I'd, I'd show them as many things as I could. And then they'd end up just uh, being like, okay, how much to actually just fix this for me or do exactly what you said. Like, it's crazy. I was so surprised time and time again, 
that if you just give the information away, people like are willing to pay you even more money to do the next step. Like you're not, mm. you're not, you're not risking anything. And I think the the greatest um, the greatest example of that was Bamf, B A M F. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They uh, they were actually they had two founders, and one of them wrote the BAMP Bible and it was like the LinkedIn automation blueprint. It was legit like this hundred page document that detailed exactly how to do LinkedIn automation. And it was the exact blueprint that I used to like initially get LinkedIn Learn off the ground. They just put it out there. It was a free wow. lead, lead gen magnet and it was legit a blueprint. And it was so detailed that I like was able to start a little company based off that. And their whole premise, and they, I don't know how many thousands of leads they got from it, but basically like people would download the ebook and they would then like hire Banff to do LinkedIn lead gen for them. And even though they had a, a hundred page guide, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was everything, like everything as an agency owner who did that for a living. Like I can tell you that blueprint was everything. It wasn't like 80% of their secrets. It was detailed screenshots, step-by-step -step strategy examples, like legit, wow. like everything that you want to pay us for. This is exactly how you, and their, I guess their whole mentality. And I talked to their founders a few times, but their whole mentality was the people who have the time to actually execute this aren't our, aren't our ideal clients. So we'll yeah. give it away for free. And the people who like get on page six are like, no, <laughs> screw this. Like, please take my money. You've proven you're the expert. So after that, like, I think I was a lot less worried to just give it away for free. Yeah. Yeah. I heard somebody. So I taught myself photography when I was like 17 and was horrible at it and struggled and learned it as time went on. Um, but something that I, so Jared Poland is a huge, you know, guy on YouTube that does, you know, photography videos, a lot of gear reviews these days, but, um, he always, he had a podcast back in the day. He would just rant and like scream and get angry about people that he, he didn't like or that irritated him. But something he always said that really like resonated with me was that he gives his best content out for free. And that's what sits out in the forefront of all of his free content is the best thing that he has to say. And then from there, he builds the platform to be able to sell something else. And so he gets like, and I it kind of like, echo that because I don't want you to look at like, okay, content, and then be like, eh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about when I have the power to show you that I actually do know what I'm talking about. And I can do well, what you need done, I can make it happen. Um, so I, I just think that sometimes we get a backwards perspective in business where we think that I got to keep the best things close to my heart, you know, or keep the cards close and not show anything where, <clears throat> I mean, those people proved exactly that it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite yeah. in a lot of cases. I think there's a lot of people that, that have that fear, especially when starting out. But I mean, you can layer it too. Like you could have like an introductory, like this in and of itself should probably cost money and is enough to get you started this has a price tag on it and is going to walk you through, you know, more. And then this is like a high tiered, high level with like hand holding for me. Like you could tier it like that if you're really worried, but um, yeah. yeah, I've learned, I've learned the other way, I guess. Yeah. Something I, I think is so, so our friend Ryan, um, yeah. he and I were on the call on a call the other day and just chatting about, you know, perspectives. And I was talking about sales and I'm curious to hear. So from his perspective, like his role is in sales or has been in the past. And so like, he is definitely like a, a salesman, you know, he's trained in it. Um, 
but as like an entrepreneur, you kind of have to be everything. Um, so my perspective on sales is it doesn't, you don't have to be like, you don't have to sell the best product. You don't have to sell the lowest price product. Um, a lot of it comes to presentation and relationship. And if you can build like a solid relationship with that person, you ha already have a foot in the door to closing a sale with them. And the reason I bring this up is because I am constantly, and I'm sure you are as well, barraged with connection requests with a message that says, hi, hello, how are you? I wanted to connect with like-minded professionals. And then literally the next message is, hey, I have this package that I want to sell you on, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I tune out like I have zero interest in buying your product as soon as I get a message like that like I don't even accept those requests like no I'm just completely turned off so what is your perspective on sales and what do you think about the the cold call version of LinkedIn um it can it can go either way so I I can and it depends on the the sales cycle how much something you know costs because you know for weekly content management or you know email marketing or there's there's lots of like smaller things that are more transactional and the the only difference between someone checking their inbox and thinking it's spam versus like actually booking a call is timing and relevance usually like hmm. if i'm in the like i would say the same thing like 90 percent of what i see in my inbox it's trash it's it's spam but if i'm actually in the market for like a certain thing, or there's been something on my mind and someone hits me with a message saying, I do, I build beautiful websites. Here's three examples of my work. If that's something that, you know, you ever, you ever need, um, you know, hit me up for a quote. If I'm actually in the market for that, I'll click the three examples. If I like what sure. I see, I might book the call, but for, you know, say, you know, if I don't need an accountant, if I don't need, you know, this, this or that, like, yeah, I tune it out. So I would say being on the other end of someone who, has done that, or our company has launched over a thousand of those campaigns, I would say it's a, it's a numbers game and it actually still works. And it's, it's determined by who you're going after. If you're, mm -hmm. if you're actually like, know your target audience who actually has a need for what you sell and then your messaging. I, I don't think I've really bought, I think there's one, one person that I've spent like money with who I had like a relationship with everything else is like, it's a product I need, the features I like. It's not someone, you know, I know. The only person I've I had a, a relationship with that I bought stuff from was when I was first starting out on LinkedIn, I was doing like free profile reviews. Um, and I came across David Riggs, who was into something else at the time. And I gave him some advice. He started becoming more active on LinkedIn. He opened up a web development agency and he hired us to do outreach for him and then i ended up hiring him his agency to do some web design for us and seo um but anyone else like i've never i've never actually hired anyone else i had like a real relationship with so my you know the people i hire and how we've gotten most of the business for us is through cold interactions marketing retargeting like it's mm. cold email cold linkedin outreach cold LinkedIn ads, cold Facebook ads, you look for signs of interest that you get them on their website and then you retarget the crap out of them across like four different platforms. And so most of the way I do business and most of the way that I get business is more cold transactional kind of marketing. So I think that skews my view into like how important that is. But I would say like 
with Ryan with Ryan in mind, like he's selling enterprise software. He's actually flying to places, having dinner with these people. He knows right. they're like their family and their kids and what sports they they are interested in. He's building real relations. But those are like deals that are 12 months in the making and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so it does, it does depend. And the, yeah, those sales cycles are, you know, for us to get a client, like we just have to simply ask, you know, Hey, is, you know, LinkedIn outreach something that you've given a try? Do you have a trusted partner that you're currently working with? Would you be curious to learn more? Like, and if we get, you know, people ignore 90% of them, but 10% result in a website visit or a booked call, like, you know, it doesn't cost us that much to keep that going. And there's enough prospects to not worry about burning through them all. So, you know, it's a decent approach. When you reach out to a person and they basically say like, no, I'm not interested in this. Do you then make an effort to build? I mean, sort of, I say relationship tongue in cheek is in yeah. your just kind of like touching base. You know what I mean? Like I, I know David Riggs from LinkedIn and I'm connected with him, but I don't like, I don't have a personal relationship with David. Like, Hey bro, yeah. how you doing? Um, but do you seek to build a relationship with clients who at that time don't need your services, but maybe down the road, you could convert them? Um, honestly, not really. Um, and I, I guess, I guess that would probably also like depend on, so the, the more, the higher tiered companies we work with, the smaller, the pool of like total addressable market, like they have. So for us, mm. like if someone, we, I mean, it's endless, like the people who could use LinkedIn outreach or LinkedIn ads or Google ads or, you know, whatever else we, we offer, like, it's just endless. So if someone's not yeah. interested, like there's just not a lot of like benefit to us in like pestering them. So we, we usually just move on. But if your total market is like 10,000 people, like that's it, 10,000 decision makers, then I would say, you know, you don't give up. <laughs> like yeah. you, they, they say they're not interested. You ask why they ignore you you wait like, you know, X amount of days or months, you try again, you try a different approach, anything to like get back, like you just don't give up on that group. So I would say it's, it's, it's different depending on how, how big your prospect list is or your universe that you can sell to and how big the okay. deal size is. Because if I have, if, if each deal is a hundred thousand dollars in my pipeline, then I, it would be worth more of my time and energy to pursue each deal more relentlessly then if each deal is, you know, $3,000 in my pipeline, like, you know, is it yeah. worth the manpower, the extra automated drip? Like if they visit my website, they're going to get digitally nurtured for like at least 90 days. They're going to get retargeted on Facebook, Google display, LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, they might get an, an email or something uh, because we can identify like the website visitors, find their email address and we can reach out to them like directly. So if they visit my website, that's a sign of interest and I'm more likely to want to stay in front of them. But if it's just a, a direct email or a direct connection request or message they ignore or say no thanks, then for us, it's just not worth the hassle of pursuing. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, so I got a, I got two last questions for you. Yeah. Um, worst mistake and your happiest accident. Worst mistake. Um, about yeah i'm trying to think of the worst um i'll, I'll give you a, a couple and maybe maybe i'll stumble onto the worst while i'm thinking about it one okay. was we we chased shiny objects probably too much like tech stacks new whatever that came out there was one point where we had all of our clients on one automation software and we 
And then there was another one that had more features, lower price. Like we just thought that was, you know, going to be where we wanted, where we wanted to go. We started migrating our clients over to there, like in droves and we moved too fast. Um, it was breaking uh, our systems. Clients were getting upset because their, you know, their flows were getting, um, were getting messed up or duplicates mm. were, were happening. And it was just so messy that we, you know, lost clients, lost money. And in the end, that platform wasn't even like where we would end up being for, for a long time. There was another platform that we ended up migrating to after that. And so we always say like internally, you know, remember, you know, that, that platform, let's not like rush into it. Let's take our time. Let's move over in small doses. Um, Cause there's always some new text, like right now, like we have, I mean, I could show you my Trello board. Like we, we built this thing on like our Trello board is almost like a custom CRM for us. And we know okay. that there's, there's better like tech stacks out there. Like on my Trello board, if someone, if someone buys from me, um, a Trello card is automatically created on our board and it's tagged their name, what they bought. There's a date. It triggers an email with an intake form to them. That intake form completion triggers another card. And then that card like moves on our Trello board, like the life cycle of like a CRM. So I can look through my board and I can see these are all the people on the onboarding. This is like month one, month two. I can see all of the clients for that, for that service at and every stage that they're in, like visually, not just like on a spreadsheet with tags. And right. it's cool. You can put stickers and flames and, um, you know, all this stuff. So just by looking at it, like three flames means tier three and they have a six on there, which means they put a, a six month. So it's like a really cool visual CRM. Okay. I know, like we all know that there's a better way. Like we started dabbling with Airtable and there's this real internal conversation that like, should we start migrating more of our stuff to like, Air we use Pipedrive and Trello and Google Sheets and Notion. And we have like a really decent, like spread out tech stack. But then when we come across a new software, it's like, are we gonna start migrating like over to Airtable? We could get rid of Trello and Google Sheets and integrate Notion into there. And But it's just like so much work. So moving, moving yeah. too fast, chasing shiny things, that was really bad. And then probably the second, I don't know about mistake, but we, we got to like a breaking point of just having too many clients. Like, so we took the scaled approach. We were in a trendy market where LinkedIn outreach was just like on fire. It's died down now because they've limited like the amount of connection requests you can send and people like, it doesn't have as great of impact because you don't have right. that scaled approach. Like you used to be able to send a hundred connection requests a day to your target group. So with those numbers, yeah. like, yeah, it's a complete numbers play, but now at a hundred a week, it, it takes a different mindset, different strategy. Um, so we scaled really fast. We had, you know, we, we had like 210 just outreach clients. We, we were like, it took two days to respond to emails. Um, we didn't have like a good support system in place. Like it just wow. grew okay. too fast, faster than we could grow our team. Um, and it like, and then we started like losing clients because the quality wasn't there. We were discovering all these problems and so, I mean, that's a good problem to have of like scaling too fast. Um, yeah. But that was, that was, uh, I mean, we could have, we could have handled that a lot better. And, and we weren't thinking about like, um, the other thing, like when you scale to like 
if you're going with a scaled approach, adding in quality assurance like layers and making sure that the quality doesn't drop every 50 clients you add on is like a whole nother thing because like mm, at 60 yeah. or 70 clients, what we can give each client and their experience is way different than when you have like 200 clients. Um, and it's more of just like a conveyor belt of services. Like this person drops that on, this drops that on. And right. the, client, the client has eight points of contact and it was just, it was just a mess. So those are yeah. probably our two bad things that, that we did that we learned from. Okay. Okay. And what then the other question, happiest accident. And then I got one more for you. Okay. Happiest accident was probably, um, I had a, I don't know if, um, I don't know if this would be in the category. I had a client who had a family friend that they wanted us to give a job to, or to see if we had anything. And I kind of like ignored, ignored them at first because, you know, I was busy and I, you know, that's not really how I was planning on hiring people. And then yeah. he was really persistent. He got me and this girl in like an email chain and was like, Hey, you know, she's really great. You should give her a chance. And so I started, I was like, okay, sure. Whatever. Like I'll, I'll give her some part-time work. Um, so she started off managing a handful of accounts. She was like, she took really good initiative and now she's like a salaried uh, staff. She's like our salaried operations uh, manager who oversees all the account managers, the outreach side. She manages the customer support, our live chat. Um, and so okay. that was probably the happiest accident where I wasn't really intending to hire her, but now like, I don't know how we could live without her. And it's Carly Davison. So when you go to like the oh, website, okay. She's the one that like manages our live chat and it's her face on, on some of those. So that, yeah, okay. that was probably a pretty happy accident for us. So last, last, it's a kind of a two-parter as well. Um, but best advice and worst advice. Yeah. Best advice is, is trial and error. So I mean, and, and get started like way, way too many people. I don't suffer from the affliction of perfectionism. So I am the kind of person that's like, let me. I, I know we can do this. I'll sell it and then we'll, we'll execute it and we'll iron out the, the kinks while we're, while we're going. I can't tell mm. you how frustrating it is and how like sad in my heart I feel for like entrepreneurs that I've talked to who, who just won't sell, like they won't sell the damn thing. They have, mm. I, I, there was this guy who, I, and I seen his like invoices. I've talked to like the other people he's hired, consultants, people like people doing tech stacks for him. He spent like 50, $60,000 perfecting this idea, uh, trying to build like the perfect, like marketing model. And he won't like sell it. He's never ready to just like sell it to someone. And then he's taking on clients for free so that he can get testimonials so that he can prove the content. Like he just won't sell it. And I stopped like, I didn't, I wouldn't take any of his money because I knew like how much he was spending on other consultants. And I told him like, when you're ready, when you sell one of these, uh, you can then pay me from that. And I will help you make sure that it's executed. Like, cause it was within the LinkedIn automation realm. Like I knew it was, I knew oh, okay. what he was trying to do. I, I was confident that we could execute it. He was yeah. going like, he was doing like the integration with go high level and he had like integrating with email and retargeting. And it was really nice what he was building, but he was so focused on perfection that he spent 
years and tens of thousands of dollars. And I, I still to this day, don't think he sold it yet, like sold wow. it to a client and it just breaks my heart. So I would say that if you're a perfectionist, if you struggle, like prove the concept by selling it. If you have a really good idea, put together like your little proposal, put three options together. I'm a big fan of that. Like have hmm. a low end option, have like the core offering and then have like a high level. Like even if people don't buy that high level, like put together a high tiered offering that like highlights all of your capabilities. And even if people don't buy that and they buy like the middle one, they like knowing that you have those capabilities and they feel better about buying the middle option. But mm, you'll be surprised. Okay. Sometimes some people have budget and they're like, I love, I like what you're saying. Give me the, the top thing you have and you'll sell sure. that more. So have the three yeah. options, sell it and figure it out as you go. Like, don't be afraid to sell something before it's like, you know, proven or fleshed out or whatever. Because right. what I what I originally sold with LinkedIn outreach, like I had, I didn't have a system. I just knew that I used LinkedIn to build connections and get opportunities. And I wanted to do that for others. And so I was just manually sending connection requests. I was, you know, I didn't have a messaging strategy. Um, but I, you know, I, I sold a, a dozen of those. And over time, I realized like, oh, this is, you know, what works and doesn't work. This is what people want. Um, and then I started, and that kind of like the data research thing, I learned what people want just from like the volume, like experience. Um, right. And what'd you say, worst advice? Worst advice you ever got? Um, the worst advice I ever got was probably, well, I mean, I, to be fair, I don't know if it's worst advice because I haven't actually like, I didn't take it. So who knows, maybe it could have <laughs> been, it could have been great advice, but it was around the pricing. Like people, people were constantly telling me how to price things. And I'm really convinced that, you know, how we price things and how we scale things led to our success. Um, mm. and, and led to, cause part of, part of our beauty that made us attractive for like a data investor was our scaled approach. Like we wouldn't have been, because we've worked with over a thousand companies, we have a database of clients we've worked with prospects that are in our pipeline. Like we just have a higher volume of data as well. That was extremely valuable to, to outside people. Whereas sure, you know, maybe we could have made similar money with less work um at a different price but it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been what i was comfortable with and i don't think it would have leveraged like my personal skills so i would say yeah i would say that listening to other people on on pricing or or what you should be selling or not selling um i mean you really just gotta you really just gotta take it with a grain of salt and that is a wrap for this episode of the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. Justin, thanks so much for coming on. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.